Good morning, RLC family, friends, those of you that have joined us online, thank you for connecting today. You know, Dave was talking about the, uh, the ability that God gives us. Um, every good and perfect gift comes from Him, but He gives us these abilities to be able to give back to Him and give to others. And uh, he pointed out Operation Christmas Child, uh, the giving here doesn't just stay here. Uh, most of you know that uh, we, we support many missionaries across the world. And God has been just reminding me that we are a local church with a global impact. And just to, to just reinforce that, I want you to watch a, a video this morning from uh, Rabbi Stewart. Uh, he is the head of REACH Initiative International, operating in Israel, in India, in uh, Belarus, and uh, in Ukraine. And you're giving his impact to people in the Ukraine. You've never been there, but you have impact to people there. So watch this video. You know, I was, I was struck when I saw this the first time that I'm looking at Rabbi Stewart saying how appreciative the people are. And because of my reference point, being an American, being in America, and all the things that we have available, it didn't look like such a great thing, but it is. See, we have been so blessed. Our country is so blessed. And you may say, well, we've got our problems. Where there are people, there are problems. All right? But we're more blessed than most of the nations in the world. And the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. You know, we're going to be done with this part of life, and we're going to get into the eternal part of life at some point. And there are going to be people that are going to seek you out. I truly believe this. That are going to come up to you and thank you for what you have done for them, even though you never met them. 
And that is the, one of the greatest things we can do. We can, we can make use of the things God has given us, as Dave was saying today, to have an impact for the glory of God and the benefit of others and drawing people to the kingdom of God. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for being faithful in your giving and your prayer. Prayer is really important. Uh, keep it up. There is no end to these things going on, but we can stay strong in God. Amen? And help strengthen others. Well, today we're going to continue on uh, in, in looking at how important abiding is, but we're, we began to, to understand the importance of abiding, the benefits of abiding, and what we're going to look at, we, we saw how uh, Israel was governed by God, guided by God, guarded by God, and provided by God. And in that, they were abiding. They were really connected to God. They were looking to God. But they, there came a time in Israel's uh, progress, and, and they looked around, and they saw other nations had something they didn't. I don't even know. You can look any direction you want to and see people having something you don't. And the Internet has been really detrimental in that case because people are presenting things, and other people are like, oh, I don't have that. And envy starts to rise up. And the, the, the antidote for envy is gratitude. We need to look at our lives and, and really see what God's done because God's done amazing things in all of our lives. If, if you don't know that, you just need to take some time and go out of this country and see other people and how they live. We have been so blessed. But Israel was, was looking. They had been so blessed. God had chosen them from all the nations and said, you're going to be my special people. And they wanted to be like everybody else. They thought all the other nations had something they didn't have and they needed, and that was a king. And so they went to God and they said, God, we want a king. And God reminded them of what he had done. And they said, no, we want a king. We want a king just like everybody else. Now, was that going to be a, a, a step up or a step down for Israel? Yeah, it's going to be a step down. But they believed that having a king was going to be better than God being king over them. And that was deception. They were deceived. And we can see it. We can look at that and we say, what? Why would you want a human king when you've already got the greatest of all God guiding you and governing you and guarding you and providing for you? Why would you let go of that to grab onto something less? Well, it's because they were deceived. And where there's deception, there is loss. And they were about to lose a lot of things that they could have had had they not had a king come in. And so we looked at, at what the process was and how Samuel the prophet warned Israel about the fact that if you get a king, everything that's going to be done is going to be self-oriented. He's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take. Now, does, is God a taker or a giver? God's a giver. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. He so loved, he gave his only son. And so we see that God's a giver, and we as human beings tend to be takers. And it's just part of our nature. Our nature is very self-oriented. When you look at children, they have a, a worldview of about this big, right? It, it's all about who? It's all about them. And you know, some people grow chronologically older, but they don't grow up. 
Their life view is all about them. And without God, that is going to be all of our life view. That's going to be our reference point. That's what we're going to be looking at and considering before anything else. But when we come into the kingdom of God, make Jesus Lord of our life, our consumer mentality begins to develop into a contributor mentality. Our world is not just about us. We consider God and we consider other people more important than ourselves. And all of a sudden, there is this just shift, massive shift that was what Adam and Eve had before sin. But the moment that sin came into Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the first thing they become aware of? Did you remember that when God said, where are you? And, and they hid themselves. And, and God said, why did you hide yourself? Because we were naked. Their first awareness after sin was all focused on self. And it is something that we struggle with as human beings all the days of our life. God has for us to live not a selfish life, but a selfless life. Because it's more blessed to give than receive. That's why when Dave was standing up here and saying, you know, get a, get join and be a part of a team and you can serve, you can give because it's more blessed to give than receive. Now, if we just continue to live our lives by what we've been taught in the world, I just live to get. But you see, we need to change. We need to transform. We need to grow in the character of God and be living to give. And so, we are going to look at today the, uh, the, the king that was going to be set over Israel because the people wanted a king. And it was something that was going to cause them real challenges um, because they were looking for something that they thought was better, but it wasn't going to be better. Only God can make the best things happen in our lives. And so today we're going to look at this. We're going to go through a lot of Scripture. I'm going to warn you right now, a lot of Scripture. We're going to jump Scripture because we want to look at this first king. But before we do, we're going to pray. So if you just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of, of speaking your word uh, to your people. Lord, to your body, to the bride of Christ. And we thank you today for the presence of Holy Spirit who is in us, who leads us and guides us into all truth. Father, help us hear the portion that you have specifically for us. Father, all of it together will help us become unitedly what you have for us to become and do what you have for us to do. But Father, there is a specific rhema word for each one of us. And so today, Father, I thank you for your people, their hearts that hear and the Spirit of God that will remind them of your word, that we can be aware of that rhema specific word to us, identify it, and then incorporate it into our lives so that we would experience transformation. We would go from glory to glory. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said? Now, before we get to this, I just want to uh, kind of point out in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, this won't be up on the screens, verse 9, it says, the Lord searches all the earth. Did you know God's searching? He is. He's searching every day, all the time, for something specific. And this is what it says. This is the uh, NCV translation. The Lord searches all the earth for people who have given themselves completely to him. He wants to make them strong. Now, we sang this morning. We sang a song 
what can I say, what can I do, but offer this heart completely to you. God is wanting, he's searching for people that are going to completely give themselves to him. Because when we give ourselves to God, that's what abiding is. When we reach out and hold on to God and, and depend on God and trust in God and look to God, God's word says, Jesus said, if, when you, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. It opens up a way for God to begin to fill and flood our lives, and we need God in every aspect and area of our lives. And so he's searching. The King James Version says this, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all the earth to show himself strong. How strong can God show himself? Like no one else, right? Nothing can stand before God. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal, completely loyal to him. See, sin pulled us away from God, and God is wanting us to come back to be able to fulfill our lives the way he intended at the beginning. And so we need to abide, and we're going to look at this king and see how he started out but then ended up wrong. And, and what it cost. And, and so we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Last week we were in chapter 8 and we were seeing how uh, God told Samuel the prophet to tell Israel, look, when you get a king, a human king, he is going to take and take and take and take and take. And they still said, we want a king. And so right here we see this first king. It's, it, in verse 1 it talks about uh, how there was a, a man by the name of Kish who was a mighty man of power, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. Now, when it says that this father of Saul, Kish, was a mighty man of power or of valor, it, it means that he was, he was prominent. He was important. He was impacting. And power, mighty man of power or valor, it also included wealth. So he was a man of substance, too. He was a man of great character, well-known, and, and a man of substance. But it says his son who had a, name, a son whose name was Saul. Now, the, the word Saul, Saul means to inquire, to ask, and to pray, to request. And in the Bible, names meant something. It gave an indication of character. So here's who, who Saul was. This is what his character was like. And again, we're going to kind of skip through scriptures, but uh, Kish had lost some donkeys. Saul, the son, said, hey, I'm going to go find them. And he took off and he started to look for them, couldn't find them. And uh, he and, and the servants from the house came. And then uh, he said, you know what, we, we need some help here. Let's go to the prophet. So they started into a city to see the prophet. And God had spoken to Samuel, the prophet, to say, Saul is coming. He's the one I've chosen for Israel, and, and you're going to meet him, and you're going to tell him that all Israel's desire is for him and his household. And so Samuel met Saul, intercepted him, began to speak to him, and told him about how this was God's plan. And Saul says in verse 21, I am I not a Benjaminite of the smallest tribes of Israel and my family, the least of the families of all the tribes of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Now, God was setting us up this week 
whether you know it or not, in if you read your word for you today, Friday, this was addressed. And I saw this Friday and I was like, this is great, God, thank you. It's just an affirmation that this is where we need to be. And so um, he, he, in the word for you today, it was talking about his inferior view of himself. But there is an inferior view of himself because when we look at ourselves, one of two things is going to happen and neither one of them is going to be good. We're either going to have an inferior perspective of us or a superior perspective of us. And yet we need to get our eyes off us. Who should our eyes be on? That's right. Should be on the Lord because he is the one that we are looking to and trusting in and relying on. And, and it goes on to say that, that this person, Saul, was taller. He was better looking than anybody else in Israel. Now, does the Bible lie? This was the case. Saul was taller and he was better looking than everybody else. Now, that doesn't seem like it's important, but it really is because we're talking about Israel wanting a king and how they would choose a king. Now, how do we tend to choose people? By the outward appearance. And do you know that there have been study after study for years upon years that show that we have innate biases in us? And, and we all have biases, but we are biased towards people that are taller and people that are better looking. They get taken care of and treated differently than other people. And, and God knew what Israel was like, what they would choose and what they would want, what they would accept. So God chose Saul, but he was different than everybody else and seemingly better. But he was a person that inquired, that requested, that prayed. And so this was the man. And even though he balked at it, Samuel told him at the end of this chapter, he said, listen, I, I, I send your servant on. The donkeys are okay. They'll be taken care of. I want to tell you about God's plan. And then after that, in the next chapter, in chapter 10, verse 1, it says that Samuel took out a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, is this not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? So in a private setting, there is this ceremony that goes on that affirms this is God's doing. Who, who did this? God. Samuel on behalf of God, but this is God's anointing on Saul to be king. And so it starts out well. This is God's plan. And uh, then later on, it, it, he tells him, he, Samuel says, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you, Saul, and you will be turned into another man. You'll be turned into another man because the spirit of the Lord is coming upon you. And we need to see that even back then, without the Spirit of God, he couldn't do and he couldn't be what God had for him to be. Just like us today. If we try and become what God has for us to become, we can't do it in a vacuum. We have to do it in cooperation with the Spirit of God. He works in us. And God works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. And whatever God's called us to, whether it's a job or to a family or to a ministry, whatever it is, we will become overwhelmed if we don't rely on God. 
especially when we realize that there's opposition, we need to rely on God, the Spirit of God. He's the one that empowers and imparts to us what we need to be who he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do. And so it was in Saul's life too as becoming the king of Israel. And uh, so we see that he was hesitant, he was resistant because Saul had an eye problem. Did you know Saul had an eye problem? We have eye problems? You're like, I know you do. You're wearing glasses. No, we all have an eye problem. We have a problem with keeping our eyes on ourselves, our reference point being us. Saul said, am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe and my family is the least in that? It was all about him. But who was it that was inviting him and telling him he was going to be king? God. And that's where the shift should have been. And that was the beginning of the downfall. But we can choose whatever we want to choose. And so this happens and, and there is uh, things that go on. In verse 17, it says, Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you... I brought Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms, all kingdoms, and from those who would oppress you, but you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversities and from your tribulations, and you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and by your clans. And I don't know for sure why this is happening, but I have a sense because I know what God does in our lives. He's reminding Israel, listen, this is what I've done for you. I have done all these things that no one else could have done. And you're rejecting me, but you're wanting a human king that can't do nearly what I've done. And I believe God was giving them one last chance to say, you know what, we've made a mistake. We want you. Because God's always willing to give us second chances. But they said, no, no, we, we want this human king. You know, sometimes we want what we want, but we don't know what we really want. And we definitely don't know what we need. And so after this, this new king, Saul, uh, finds out that one of the half-tribes, Manasseh, is being assaulted and, and uh, challenged by the Ammonites. And so he rallies the troops of Israel, gets 330,000 uh, troops to go to this little place, this city, to confront this Ammonite raiding party. And they have this massive victory. You know, they, they beat them so badly that the Bible says that when all was said and done, those that were able to escape, and not many did, they couldn't even, couldn't even be in pairs. There were so few. And so there was a big celebration. They had this big victory in this little battle, but it was victory no less. And then comes the next battle in chapter 13, verse 5 through 7 we pick this up and we see that the Philistines, the Philistines were known as, as just merciless warriors. 
They were just taking over places. The Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. So there is a massive army. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and so many people you can't number them that are out there ready, poised to attack Israel. How many of you know this is going to be a big challenge for Saul and for Israel? And so he begins to look around and consider what's going on. And it says, and they came up and encamped at Michmash at the east of Beth Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed. That word distressed means terrified. Wouldn't you be if you saw an invading army that was without number coming against you? Terror. What does terror do to people? It paralyzes. It causes them to do just sporadic things. They take off. Well, that's what happened here. It says, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people that followed him were trembling. Does that sound like a recipe for a real great victory? No, no. And so all of a sudden, Saul's facing something like he's never faced before. The odds aren't in his favor. But they are. Numerically, he's overwhelmed. But in reality, he has the advantage. And why is that? Because he's got God. God is with him. And whenever God is with us, we have the majority. No matter what we're looking at. Oh, come on. You and I need to gain that perspective, build that into us, that with God, what's possible? Oh, yeah, it's easy to say, but when you come down to the bottom line, do you believe that with God, all things are possible? That if the economy tanks, you're still going to be taken care of? If, if something happens in our government or with our military, will you trust God to take care of you? Because he's there to do it. But if we rely on ourselves, we push God aside to do what we can do. And what really can we do? Not a whole lot. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us with man nothing is possible. But with God, all things are possible. We read in the Bible so many things that God did supernatural, miraculously, above and beyond what anybody could ever imagine, think, dream of, or do. And he's the God that's with you. He's not a God that's changed. It's not like we got the second string God. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. He's the one that caused the armies of Egypt that were pursuing Israel to drown, covered them over, cut them off from following Israel. He was the God that provided food in the desert, water in the desert from a rock. So can he take care of you? Absolutely he can. But will we 
reach out for him first? Will we make him the one that we are trusting in and relying on, abiding in, allowing him to govern and guide and guard and provide as we abide? Or are we going to reach out for something else? Because it's easy to reach out for other things. We stand in a place that's unique to all mankind all, over all time. We have more options, more resources, more things available to us than any other time in human history. And that's great. But it's also a huge challenge because all these things are pulling on us to have us turn to them. Rely on them. Trust in them. Because they look like they can do good. But no one and nothing can do what God can do in our lives. And that's why it's imperative, especially in these days, when we have so many options, so many opportunities to rely and trust in other things, that we make sure we are abiding, holding on, locked in, locked on God, and we don't let go for any other thing. Because as much as it looks good, it will never meet the provision that God can bring. And so... This is going on. Saul is watching people run away, watching all this go on. He sees this massive army. And, and in verse 8, it says, And he, Saul, waited seven days according to the set time by Samuel. Now, what this was, was before they went out to battle, they would always offer something to the Lord to make sure that they acknowledged God's with us. And so... That's what they were, they were waiting to do. Samuel, the prophet, was going to come and make the offering. And look what happened. Samuel did not come. How many of you know that God's time frame, God's schedule isn't ours? Many times God has us to wait longer than we want to wait. Right? I've heard it said that God is the God of the 11th hour and the 59th minute. And why is that? Is he playing games with us? Is God a game player? No, absolutely not. But we know that the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. From the moment we believe till the moment we, we see it manifest, that is very pleasing to God that we don't change our minds. We don't shift course. We don't... Choose something else because things aren't happening in our time frame or our way. Because God said, my ways are higher than your ways. And we could say it this way, God's ways are better than our ways. So, he's waiting. Samuel doesn't show up. So what's Saul do? All of a sudden, again, he's looking. And the people were scattering from who? What's it say? And the people were scattering from him. Now, is that true? Were they running away from Saul? No, we know who they were running away from. That massive army that was the enemy. But what does Saul say? They ran away from me. He has an eye problem. It's all about me. They're running away from me. And Saul said, bring a burnt offering. And a peace offering here to me. 
and he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came. Really? Is this just a coincidence? No, I think these are God incidences. God, God will test us, not with evil, but he should have just waited. Waited on God. They that wait upon the Lord will what? Renew their strength. Mount up with wings as eagles. Walk and not grow weary. Run and not grow weary. Walk and not faint. That word wait is the same word that has the idea of abiding, of dwelling with God. Man, don't just do something. Be still and know that he is God. Be still. We have a tendency to think activity is productivity. But if it's not God-ordained and God-directed, it is just a loss. So he made this offering. Samuel shows up. And, and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? He, he had been disobedient. He, he decided stuff isn't happening. we got to make stuff happen. We don't have to make anything happen because when Abraham and Sarah tried to make stuff happen, God had told Abraham and Sarah, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Well, time went by and things didn't happen, so they said, you know what, we've got a plan. We're going to make this happen. And what came from that was the very enemies that these people are fighting against. The enemies Israel to this day are having to defend themselves against. Our choices, our help from God, our actions, because we don't see God acting, will never produce what God intends. It'll always come back to bite us. And you know where. Some of you are like, I can't believe he said that. Yeah, well, I didn't say it all. Okay. And it says, Saul said, when I saw, when what? I saw. We're going to see all sorts of things. What are we supposed to be moved by? Faith. Not what we see. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith has a focus. It's God and his word. No matter what's going on around us, we can't get caught up in looking at everything around us. We have to keep our focus on God. That will keep you safe. That'll keep you secure. That'll keep you stable when everything else is coming apart. And I'm telling you right now, you look around and you see so many people that are so scared. They are so unstable and insecure. And we as Christians, man, we should be the most stable, secure, peace and joy-filled people of all. Because we're not looking at the things they are. For our help, for our provision, for our protection, we're looking to God. And he never fails. And he's not going to start with you. And so it, it goes on to say, I saw that the people were scattered again from who? Me. His eye problem is acting up. And that you did not come within the days appointed. So, 
hey, you're on the clock. Guess what? God doesn't wear a watch. He created time. He's not confined by time. You and I are very time conscious. But God knows the exact right time for everything. There is a time and a season for everything under heaven. And God has appointed those things. And he is never, never late. So he looked at himself. He looked at the people. He looked at the enemy army. He looked at what was happening. He looked at what he thought was needed. He looked at Samuel not coming. He was looking at everybody but who? God. And, and honestly, it's easy for all of us to get caught up with that. And then, then we do what Saul does. We do what we think is best, what we think is good, what we think will benefit us. But understand this. We're just guessing because the only one that knows absolutely what's best and what's good is God. The Bible tells us in Proverbs in two places, there's a way that seems good or best or right to man whose end is the way of death. One of these days we need to acknowledge, man, I think I know, but I know I don't because only God does. And he's not going to hold out on you. He'll give you what you need when you need it, not when you want it. Hello? And so then we, we drop down to verse 17. Oh, I'm sorry. Saul does not do what he should do. And so he, he gets all misaligned. And yet God redeems it because God has his son, Jonathan, defeat the Philistines. All right? That fight has gone on. And uh, oh, there it is. And the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, and the Philistines will, he said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. So he, he saw the Philistines, and then he made up a story that they're going to come down now on me at Gilgal. How many of you know we have all sorts of stories we make up that aren't necessarily true? And we listen to us more than we listen to anybody else. And we're listening to things that aren't necessarily true. And we know if we know the truth, the truth will what? Make us free and keep us free. But if we're dealing with lies, they will not free us. They will incarcerate us. They will limit us. They will rob from us. And so he said, the Philistines will now come down on, it wasn't just him, it was Israel at Gilgal. And I have not made supplication to the Lord. He knew what was normally done, and he hadn't done it, but he decided, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And he said, therefore, I felt what? Compelled, 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 and offered the burnt offering. Now, the message translation said, I said the Philistines are about to come down on me. I haven't yet come before the God asking for his help, so I took things into my own hands. Not much different than us. When we don't see God working, and you know God many times works without showing himself? He's working all the time. He's working... 
He's working things out for good if we love him and are called according to his purpose. But all of a sudden, he took matters into his own hands. Like we tend to do when we get our eyes off God. You know, if it's to be, it's up to me. But it's not, it's up to God. And so he did what he did. And Samuel said, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For from now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. He would have had his kingdom established over Israel forever, but he hadn't been obedient to what God told him. And like I said, Jonathan ended up rising up, defeating the Philistines. And God had already passed judgment on Saul. But how many of you know when, when we do wrong, God doesn't just cut us off? God gives us an opportunity to turn things around. And so in chapter 15, we're going to pick this up because it's the next battle that they face. And it was the battle with Amalek, not nearly what it was with the Philistines. And, and God tells Samuel to tell Saul what he needs to do to win this battle. And he says, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Now, is that pretty clear? What, what was Saul and Israel supposed to do in their battle with Amalek? Destroy everything and not spare anyone. Oh, that's pretty brutal. It's the same thing that was told when they went up to, to Jericho. Why? Because they're dealing with people that God did not want their sinful ways to affect and infect Israel. Well, that's pretty brutal. No, God, God tells us that we're not supposed to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship does light have with darkness, with believers, with unbelievers? We interact with people that don't know the Lord because that's the way they're going to come to know the Lord. But we don't make that our hangout. Because I can tell you time and time again, I've watched so many Christians think that they were, somebody called it this, missionary dating where they're dating an unbeliever to try and get them saved. And more times than not, the person that was an unbeliever draws the believer away from God. And it doesn't just happen in dating, it happens in friendships. Because we are not supposed to make our friendships with people that don't know the Lord. We care about them, we interact with them, we bless them, but our friendships and our fellowship comes back to believers the body of Christ. And so he told him, you need to destroy it all. And uh, very clear, no, no, no mix in words. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 9 through 13, we pick it up and the battle's gone on. And uh, it says, but Saul and the people. Now, keep in mind, it's Saul and the people spared Agag. He was the king. And the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was what? Good. They were, I can't even believe this is here. They were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So here we have Saul and the people. They've gotten direction from God and they have a better idea. They have a better idea. 
We're going to bring the king back because that's what happens when you conquer somebody. You bring the highest leader back. You place him in front of the people. And the highest leader in the, the nation that has just conquered them puts his foot on his neck and says, this is ours. We've defeated them. And not just him, but everything in the land. And they would bring things back from the land to show the people what they just got as spoils. And that's what they did. They brought the best. It may have been the best that was there, but was it the best that they should do? No, but they, they looked at it according to what they thought was best. And they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything that was despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Do you know that God thought all of that was despised and worthless? Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now this is an indication that at one point Saul was, was following the guidance of the Lord. And now he turned back. You know, just because we're obedient today doesn't mean we're going to be obedient tomorrow. We have to choose to be obedient. It's not a lock because we can disobey any time. And there is a reason why we tend to disobey. And we're going to see this coming up. It's real clear. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel arose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told to him that Saul went to Carmel, a mountain range, Mount Carmel. And indeed, he did what? Set up a monument for who? I problem. Who, who, who gave the victory? God. But they were disobedient in the battle to do what God said, but God still gave him the victory. And now he's setting up a monument for himself because look what I did. You know, it's real easy to get over into pride when we get a few victories under our belt. When we see God do things in our life and we're like, look, look, look what I did. Every good and perfect gift comes from me. No, from him. And so he set up a monument for himself. And when he had gone down around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal, then Samuel went to Saul. And Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. Now look at this. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, who's he talking to? Who was Samuel? A prophet. God's going to out Saul. He's not going to be able to get something by Samuel. And, and do you think he would be that stupid to lie to Samuel? I'm going to tell you something. I truly believe that Saul believed he had done what he was supposed to do because he was deceived. When we are hearers of the word, James 1.22, and not doers of the word, it's not just about the New Testament. It's about any word of God that comes to us. The moment we don't obey God, we begin to be deceived. We're hearers and not doers. We deceive our own selves. The worst deception going is self-deception because we don't know that we're deceived. And unless we have somebody outside us be able to address us that we'll listen to them, 
And I've said this before, and it's really true. You need people in your life that will be able to tell you no. Tell you things that you don't necessarily agree with, as long as it's not sin, but it, they're, they're trying to help you. And you stop and you pause and you listen. Because anybody that doesn't have input from other people is dangerous. Dangerous to themselves, dangerous to their families, and dangerous to other people. Because all of us have blind spots. We should not be surrounded by people that tell us what we want to hear. I've said this before, and it's so true, and it's becoming more and more prevalent. Most people, or many people, live in an echo chamber. And when I say that, what I mean is we are able, because of the vast variety on the Internet, we are able to find somebody that is just echoing what we believe. And if all you're listening to is the ones that say the same thing you say, you are dangerous. Unless it's what God says. Because it just reinforces us and we get emboldened to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong because you're not like me. Well, you know what? Nobody needs to be like you. If God wanted another you or another me, he would have made it, but he didn't. But he wants us all to be like another one, and that's his son. And we need to be conformed into that image transformed by the renewing of our mind through the word of God. And so Samuel tells him, man, what are you doing? Oh, no, bless you. I've, I've done the command of the Lord. But he hadn't. But he thought he had. Going on, it says, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you as king? When Saul began to think, I got a lock on this. I know how to do this. I, I'm doing this all right. Samuel reminded him, man, when you were little in your own eyes, not insignificant, but little in comparison to who God is, when you were willing to, to follow God, to obey God. It's just like what the Bible tells us when we're humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and do season, he'll exalt us. Well, what season? In the right season. When we're able to handle it. Because many times we want the notoriety. We want the advancement, but we can't handle it. Because the character hasn't caught up. And we need to have the character to be able to sustain what God's doing. In verse 19, 19, it goes on to say, Samuel again addresses Saul and he says, Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Now look at this. This is crazy. Saul says to Samuel, but I have obeyed. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. 
and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He had utterly destroyed all these others, but he was not obedient because he kept one that God said, nope, destroy him. And then he throws the people around him under the bus. But the people, remember we read in verse 9, it was Saul and the people chose to save a gag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs. Remember that? Now he says, oh no, oh no. The people took the plunder, the sheep and the oxen and the best of things, which should have been utterly destroyed. And now he gives a reason why they did it. To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Yeah. Who's God? Samuel's God. The Lord your God. See, it just gets worse and worse and worse as the deception goes on. This disobedience goes on. And he doesn't get it. Because he has an eye problem. It's all about him. He is looking at him and everybody else is fair game to be able to dump on. Now, Samuel confronts him on this because he says, you know, what's this, what's this noise in my ears? I'm hearing the, the sheep and I'm hearing the, the lambs and I'm hearing the fatlings and I'm hearing all this stuff. And they were supposed to be destroyed. And he tells Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And he said that your rebellion. Now, when we disobey God, it's not just we disobeyed, we rebelled. Your rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Now, you may say, well, what? You know, in looking into this, we all struggle with this because we have an eye problem. Because we look and reference ourselves. And when God doesn't do what we think he ought to do, the way he ought to do it, and the time he ought to do it, we take things into our own hands. We take things into our own hands. Remember he said, I was compelled? I was compelled? Took things into my own hands? Rebellion, that rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. What, what is at the foundation of witchcraft is they try to cast spells and do incantations to make somebody else or other things work the way they want them to. So, at the very heart of witchcraft is control. It's about us controlling something else. And we as human beings have a real problem with not wanting to let go of control. We want to be in control. We want things to happen the way we want them to and when we want them to and how we want them to. And I will tell you this, the moment I am in control, God is not. The moment you're in control, God is not. And I need to give over, not give up, Give over control to God. Let him be God. Choose to hold on and abide in God so that he can have his way, which is perfect, which is better than my way, and leave him in control. 
And every time we try and control, we are manifesting a type of witchcraft. And I know none of us, not a single one of us, would ever want to be accused of practicing witchcraft. And yet that's what it's all about. It's about us trying to control instead of letting God have control. Saul finally saw what was going on. His eyes were open, and look what he says in verse 24. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now look, he said, I have sinned. He acknowledged he sinned, but you know what he didn't do? He didn't repent. Repentance has to come in the acknowledgement of sin. We have to repent. We have to acknowledge we've done wrong. We've gone this direction. Now we have to turn because that's what repentance is. It's changing direction. It's changing mind and changing direction. We change from what we're doing because if we, re if we confess our sin to God but we keep sinning, God's not going to forgive that because we're continuing in it. We have to choose to turn. Now, understand this, that we may go back to it, but if we turn, if we make that turn and repent and turn back to God, then he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, even though we may go back again. But we need to make the turn. And he didn't. He just said, you know what? I've sinned. I'm sorry. And many times we say, God, I'm so sorry. And what we're really sorry for, and people say this all the time, I'm sorry. But they're not sorry for what they did. They're sorry for what's happening because of what they did. And there's a big difference. If I'm sorry for what I did, I'm not going to keep doing it. But if I'm sorry for what's happening, I'm just sorry I got caught. But I'm going to continue. And why? Because he feared. He was concerned more about what people thought, more about what he thought than God. And that was another thing that was in the word for you today on Friday, that the fear of the Lord brings a trap. God was priming the pump for us, helping us recognize this. And then he said, I have sinned. Now, we know that he didn't repent because look what he says next. I've sinned. But honor me. What? I've sinned. Reward me. Take care of me. And how does he want to be taken care of? How does he want to be honored? Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. What's he want? I just want to look good. I, I, I'm more concerned about me about what the elders think and about what the people think than about what God thinks. Folks, we can't please God and please people. But we can please God. And that's forever. Because when you and I please people, how long do they stay pleased? Just look at Jesus' life. He's coming in on, on the Palm Sunday road. Hosanna, Hosanna, waving palm fronds and laying their coats at his feet so the, 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 the little donkey could walk over him. And then days later, crucify him, crucify him. 
People's opinions change. God's never changes. And so he didn't repent. And it turns out that Saul ended up dying in a battle. His sons, three sons, Jonathan being one of them, died in the battle. But the way Saul died, he fell on his sword. He committed suicide. But in the meantime, before that happened, God had said back in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, I have found a man after my own heart that I want to be king. But in that time, from the time God said that about taking the kingdom away from Saul, finding a man after his own heart, and the time Saul died, there was someone that was brought into the picture. God had planned to raise him up, and this is the second king. And the second king did some really bad things. But the second king was very different than the first king. Because at times he lapsed into that self-focus, having that eye problem, what he wanted. And not obeying God, but when it came down to it, he wanted God more than he wanted anything else. And we're going to see that next week. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. God does have a plan for every one of us. It's a plan for good and not for evil with a future full of hope. But we can't have God's plan doing it our way. This is not Burger King. We get marketed all the time. It's all about what we want. It's about us having our way. But there's only one king and his name is Jesus. And when Jesus becomes king of our life, he needs to stay as king forever. And yet it's such a battle daily, immersed in a society that is so self-focused. A clear indicator of what's most important to most people is what is the most photographed thing in our world. It's the selfie. We are selfie-focused. And we need to learn and grow and become selfless because we're God-focused. And as we focus on God, God will mature us and develop us and save us from being consumers to become contributors where we enrich and enhance other people because we've been enriched and continue to be enriched and enhanced by God because we're abiding. You may be here this morning or you may be online and you have never, never trusted in the Lord. You've, you've been running your own life. You've been the one at the helm. You've been in the driver's seat. God is not anybody's co-pilot because if he's your co-pilot, he's in the wrong seat. He needs to be the one that's driving, guiding and governing and guarding and providing while we abide. We move with him. In him we live and move and have our being, it says in the book of Acts. And yet everything pulls at us to have us, like the world tells us, walk to the beat of a different drummer. No, we need to walk in connection and communion with the Lord. And that brings the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
And that unity keeps us from being divided over all sorts of things that we're divided over today. But if you've never turned to Christ, this is the beginning of the transformation that God has for you to free you from having eye problems. To mature you to living the most blessed life. It's more blessed to give than receive. And if that's you, online or here, uh, if you would just acknowledge right now, that's me. Let God know, that's me. And would you join me in a prayer? I'm going to invite everybody to pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who willingly came to earth, left heaven, lived a sinless life in obedience to you, died on the cross, paid the price for my sin, conquered hell, death, and the grave, and was raised glorious and victorious. Today, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Guide me, govern me, guard me, and provide for me as I abide in you. I thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer here today, let somebody know before you leave. If you prayed online, go to our website, reslifeny.org. Go down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. Uh, if you give us your name, we'll be able to pray for you by name. And if you give us contact information, somebody will contact you this week. God has a great plan for every one of us. It's whether we're going to choose to let him be in control. We're going to choose to trust him and obey him. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. Would you stand? You may.